Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Ekstrin, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, in the podcast room with our senior pastor, Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. And you all might be happy to know that our next podcast, Angela, will be back. It's our last one without her. Lord willing. Lord willing, yes, yes is yeah. true for all of us. <laughs> and uh, we are continuing our journey in Luke 4. Uh, last week, or last time, I should say, we were discussing the temptation of Jesus. And now that that event is through, he immediately heads to his hometown of Nazareth. And what we're picking up then is in verse 16, where we we find out what happens there. So, Pastor Carl. Yeah, we'll read this, and it's uh, not the homecoming that one might hope, although it starts out seemingly promising, but there's more going on than meets the eye. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Fascinating section of scripture. And I... I begin by pointing out, because it's Luke and because he's so uh, such a master of detail, he tells us not only that Jesus is in Nazareth, but that this was the town in which he was brought up in. Mm-hmm. And um, he heads right to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And the scroll of Isaiah is given to him. And I just wanted to point out it's interesting where he starts and stops mm-hmm. because in Isaiah 61, which is where he's reading from, word for word, unlike Satan, where Satan's leaving important details out <laughs> and changing it, Jesus is reading word for word from Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me 
to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness, uh, and release, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops there. Mm-hmm. And that's only the first half of that verse. Now, obviously, when Jesus was reading it, it wasn't broken down into chapters and verses. Mm-hmm. But he did not read the rest of that sentence, which is the day of vengeance of our God. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, I think I know why he left it, that out, because he's basically introducing his ministry to do all of those other things, to preach good news. The vengeance part is going to come in time, but not in this coming of the Messiah. Is that right? Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's all one ministry and the vengeance of our God is for the second coming. Yeah. Well, in its fullness, but the same thing is true of the healings. The healings are temporary too, right? Everybody's going to get sick again. Mm -hmm. And so there are, there is a, there's an element of the vengeance of our God, I guess, in the opposition to say Pharisees, religious leaders, uh, that, that we see as the story unfolds, uh, but certainly not its fullness of it. And that's, I guess, true of the whole, whole prophecy. Like Jesus says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so it's being fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, but it's going that this work is going to be continuing throughout Jesus' ministry and is not going to be fully complete until the day he returns. So as for why he stopped there, I don't know. Maybe it was just a touchy place to... Yeah, you don't want to end on vengeance and then say... This has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> right. It's, it's, you know, you pointed out in the previous podcast about how often we hear that uh, the Spirit of the Lord mm-hmm. is on Jesus. You know, the at his baptism, the Spirit descended upon him as a dove. And then as he's about to go into the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit was led into the, to the wilderness. He comes out of the temptation and it says that in verse 14, which was last week's text, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And isn't it interesting that the text that he's reading from from Isaiah begins with the words, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Yep. It's just a point he can't emphasize enough. Yep. Yeah, and I really just think that's, I think some of that is Luke. He likes to highlight the work of the Spirit Mm -hmm. because he's gonna, he's gonna write the book of Acts. He's gonna, tell this as one big story in which Jesus' ascension into heaven is not by any means God leaving the building. In fact, it's God coming nearer to us because that ascension leads into the the gift of Pentecost of the Spirit in the church. So instead of God being at work in, in Jesus directly, God is directly at work in every single person in whom God's Spirit is at work. And so I think Luke really likes to, to call our attention to uh, that continuity God's work continues uninterrupted. And, and it's work that Jesus points out when John is in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we wait for another? So you know, John's kind of in this moment of kind of a crisis of, of faith. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't go back and doesn't say, go back and tell John, yes, I'm the one. <laughs> yeah. he, he says, tell him what you see is in here. Mm-hmm. And he kind of is echoing these yes. exact same verses again, isn't <laughs> yeah. he? Yeah. The poor are 
are having the pre uh, having the good news preached to them the the blind are receiving their sight and so on so it's almost as if he's saying yeah tell him that Isaiah 60 is being fulfilled mm-hmm. 61 and that's all they needed right that's what you're supposed to be watching for right the, the word of the Lord being fulfilled and that's the evidence yeah but in th- in this day in this case they hear Jesus say this has been fulfilled and their response is they speak well they marvel at him uh, they they talk about the gracious words coming from his mouth and then they say is not this Joseph's son he's yeah. such a good little boy we're so proud of him glad the hometown heroes out there <laughs> hitting home runs and uh, Jesus is not pleased with that response yeah it's it's interesting that you pointed that out because I thought that them asking, isn't this Joseph's son, would have come with a bit of, hey, wait a minute. Mm. Who who does this guy think he is? You mm. know? Um, but it certainly could be what, what you're saying too, that their amazement was all positive. Yeah, they're speaking well of him. Yeah. So that's I guess my evidence to say that mm-hmm. that this is actually kind of a we're kind of we're proud of this. This is our boy. Mm-hmm. He's out there. He's a good rabbi. And uh, and they don't even they don't even think for a moment about what it means for that to be fulfilled in their hearing. They're just like I'm so proud of my boy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and then if that's the case then what is it that turn that turns them into an angry mob that, that's trying to kill him? Is it because of what he said happened in Scripture with the Gentiles being the recipients of God's grace instead of Jews? Yeah, I think so. And so they're really angry at what God did. <laughs> well, th- this is a little bit of a frontal assault from Jesus when he says no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And and he, he puts the words in their mouth. Doubtless you'll quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we've heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. It, it seems like Jesus almost accelerates this conflict. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's because their response to him is so inadequate. There's no way that they're going to understand him as the savior that they need and as the Lord who reigns over heaven and earth while they're still looking at him as Joseph's little boy, which is yeah. even that in itself is not accurate. He's not Joseph's son. Right. He's God's son. Right. Uh, so, is this also a reason why Jesus did not perform many miracles in Nazareth? Because mm-hmm. it just wasn't, they were not going to be received in the way that he would have wanted them to be, which is to say a proof of his, of who he was, of his office. Yeah, there's a couple of places where mm-hmm. it'll talk about, he, like he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And if you think about what does faith do, is it brings you to Jesus. And if there's not faith, then the people who need the healing don't come to him. Mm-hmm. And so there's no opportunity. And so I think I think a big part of it is that, that there's just, they're, they're, they're happy to see him as this itinerant rabbi we can be proud of. He's out there drawing the crowds. The boy from Nazareth is making us proud, but they are not remotely ready to see him as Savior and Lord. Yeah. It's interesting to me also that so a group of people grab hold of him, they take him <laughs> out of the synagogue, and he's allowing all of this. Mm-hmm. It's like he's allowing himself to be escorted out of the synagogue, probably in a not so nice manner, mm-hmm. right up to the brow of the hill. And then all of a sudden, that's it. You're n- this isn't going any further. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I have this image in my mind. I don't think I've ever seen this played out on a movie screen. It's but I've chosen. Is it on the? Okay, well, <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time. But but it's the kind of thing that like, how does a director put that together in a way that looks remotely believable? Yeah. Like all of a sudden, this mad, angry mob, bloodthirsty, just lets them walk away. This is the work of God's spirit. <laughs> this is this is God doing what only God can do. So we are seeing a miracle. It's the miracle that Jesus can just part the Red Sea and walk right through the angry mob. Well, and, and within that angry mob, there had to have been people who have known him his whole life, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it, it, it references that in verse 22. Isn't this Joseph's son? So whether they knew him as Joseph's son or, or stepson, they still knew him. They, they knew of him as a child. Yeah. And so I think one this is kind of one of those accounts where you have to look at it and say this is really a proof for the accuracy of the, <laughs> because why would you include a story like this if it's not necessarily it doesn't help in the overall proof that Jesus is who he says he is because mm-hmm. it, it, he gets pushback mm-hmm. from and there's people who doubt of the veracity of his claims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and his escape is a little unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not dramatic enough for Hollywood. It's not, there's no rationale for it. Yeah. <laughs> and there are still people out there who claim that, that, that Jesus never actually makes a, a messianic claim. Well, he's clearly making one here. Oh. Today, these words are being fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah. If that's not a messianic claim, I don't know what is. Yeah. Although, again, they seem to have totally. And, and, and we should take some time to think, unravel this, too, to think about Jesus is claiming that God right here, right now, is setting captives, specifically captives to sin, and captives to the consequences of sin. Yeah. He's setting them free. He's giving sight to the blind. And, and the, the year of the Lord's favor is referenced to the, the idea of the year of Jubilees, Jubilees. which is this glorious idea that for a whole year nobody works yeah. <laughs> and we just celebrate we eat off the land and god provides for us and we have this this beautiful image of sabbath and rest and trust in relationship with god while we set each other's debts free and are restored in community with each other and jesus is saying hey it's right here right now and this was a sticking point for many jews who wanted to believe in all of these things in a much more immediate physical sense so to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, they wanted freedom from the Romans. Sure. And so that was their vision of what the Messiah would bring. At Jesus least in part, is, yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is bringing a whole new understanding to that. Shouldn't have been a new understanding. Yeah. He's bringing the correct understanding to it. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's also intriguing to think about the point Jesus makes as he's saying to them that no prophet's acceptable in his hometown and pointing out that God does send Elijah far away, and and He does heal, not a local leper, but one from far away, and uh, there's the there's the hometown piece of that. Uh, but I've also always read those texts too as an indication of God's love for all of mankind. And so, here's God going out and saving Gentiles in remarkable ways, and that too may have been a little bit offensive and challenging for them to hear clearly so as we ponder this text in the light of uh, heart of a shepherd and our households mm-hmm. what do we have here what can we pull from this that's instructive for us the first thing that comes to my mind is again that 
that regard for who Jesus really is. He's not just a good teacher. And um, one of the things that sometimes my ears will kind of perk up and I'll, I'll try to follow somebody here where they're saying like, I want my kids to have Christian morals or Christian mm-hmm. values. And and I'll kind of try to listen in and see where that's going because if that's all you want for your kids, you're not giving them enough because that's just Jesus as a good teacher. He's just a rabbi. Right. But I want my kids to have a savior and I want them to know their need for that savior. And that means they need to know him as their Lord before whom their their uh, you know, best obedience is still filthy rags and and to, to really understand who Jesus is. And so as a shepherd in my own home, I've, I want to think about the way that we talk about who Jesus is. And, and I guess a litmus test for this is, does the way that we think about Jesus, does it require the cross? Does it, does it require forgiveness and grace? Or have we just kind of reduced Christian teaching to just commands? Because that's, that's still teaching, treating Jesus as just a good teacher. And the other thing that, that uh, struck me is, this is an example of people who um, they could not accept Jesus for who he was because it kind of crossed their expectation. Mm. It crossed them. And I think there's a lot of people today who will be, they're offended by Mm -hmm. a certain teaching of Christianity. And it's that offense that is the disqualifier. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of when Jesus said, blessed is who is not offended by me mm-hmm. and I feel like I, Tim Keller would make this this uh, statement about how God can't be your God unless he crosses you mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point there ha- if everything that you want of God lines up mm-hmm. you're you're not really being honest about it yeah he has to con- conflict us at some point and make us question what our expectation of him should be or is because if 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 i'm just making a long list of this is who i want god to be well then he's just a god of my own invention Mm -hmm. and he's not god and that was sadly true of the people of nazareth they could not make room for the fact that god could have been someone that came from their midst Mm -hmm. born as a baby as a human being yeah yeah, and in fairness to them, I think we'd all have a hard time with yes, this. I, and there's a process here. By the end of the story, there will be people in Nazareth who believe. I th- yes, and I I th- I've thought about that too. Like, would would I have been one of those that would have been escorting him to the brow of the hill? Probably. Mm-hmm. I would have, have full disclosure, I think, because I'm not a person that that accepts change mm-hmm. very well. And here, this guy is bringing change. He's changing my the whole paradigm and the whole mindset of who the Messiah was and what you should be looking for. Yeah. So as you, uh, to close that loop, you started off with that question about heart of a shepherd and shepherding your household. Is there a connection there that, that comes to mind as far as how I live that or live in, in light of that? I, I liked your application, certainly about, um, understanding that Jesus is more certainly than just a moralist or a good teacher. Mm-hmm. I think where I was coming from with my point is that I need to allow Jesus to cross me mm-hmm. and to uh, yeah. keep changing my expectations of who he should be yeah. or would be. In fact, not just to allow him, way. but almost seek it out, hunger for it. Yeah, I had somebody talk to me 
uh, a couple of weeks ago and was talking about just going to church and saying, I want to be convicted mm-hmm. during that service. And it's like, that is, that is the right attitude, right? Yeah. I want to be convicted. I want God to show me. And break me. Yeah. Bring, bring me to that point of needing, rec- recognizing my need for grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, and, and show me the sin in me so that I can hate it and I can reject it and uh, take it to him to be forgiven and, and cleansed from it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's a great application. And I mean, this is, this is true. I don't know if we've stated this explicitly, but if you are thinking of yourself as in a role of being head of household spiritually or supporting the head of household spiritually or whatever that role is, all of the spiritual growth in you becomes shepherding. Yeah. It, it, you know, it doesn't have to be something that you apply to someone else. In fact, the more that you can just internalize and grow spiritually, the more that you'll be able to have something to pass down, uh, whether you realize it or not. So, so certainly there's application just from that idea of convict me, Lord, yeah. challenge me. Don't let me get comfortable. In, in Luke three, when John rolled out his ministry, we were kind of commenting with a certain amount of lightheartedness how he just kind of came out with both guns blazing, mm-hmm. you brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. And you could, you know, say, oh, John, you, you got to choose your words a little bit more carefully. Roll this out gradually. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about this. And one could almost make the same comment about Jesus. Yeah. Not, that he's, not that he's coming out, you know, uh, accusatory or anything, but he's right out of the gate. He's making a, a Messiah claim about himself. And he's not backing away. He's, he's certainly not apologizing for who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's not soft-pedaling it. Mm-hmm. Today, this scripture is being fulfilled. So uh, there's a takeaway there for me in, in how I represent Christ. And as an, I'm an ambassador for him, I, while I want to be sensitive to the ears of the people around me, I don't want to soft-pedal things in such a way that they're not getting the truth. Right. And they're not being confronted with who I am in Christ and who Christ is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's well said and uh, challenging. It's in our society, especially, it seems like uh, offending people has become like the cardinal sin. It's like oh. the one wrong thing you can do is say something that offends somebody. And if there's anything that our society is teaching us right now, you can't help it. Yeah, because people who work overtime trying to not be offensive end up, yeah, offending in some way they didn't see coming. Right, and so I'm not saying don't stop, or I'm not saying stop trying, but but certainly don't compromise the truth. Exactly, recognize that there are certain things that people are going to choose to be offended at, and we are not called to escape that kind of yeah. uh, Well, and we came out of a podcast on Ephesians, so we know what this looks like. Speak truth in love. Mm -hmm. And and that Jesus is doing that. He can't do anything otherwise. So he's speaking truth, but he is speaking it in love. He does love them. In in this case, though, that love means showing them their sin. And I would guess the next day, some of them are thinking, was I really about to throw him off the cliff? What's wrong with me? You know, there's probably some conviction that takes place there. How many times do we see that phrase? It's in verse 24, I tell you the truth. Hmm. That that phrase in the Gospels is probably a couple dozen at least. Mm -hmm. And I guess one last point 
that might bear pointing out is how he just walked away from this, Mm -hmm. which is a reminder to us that there was never a moment in Jesus's Mm -hmm. life where he was not in control of a situation. Mm -hmm. Even when it seemed that things were spiraling out of control, Garden of Gethsemane Mm -hmm. and the arrest and the interrogations and the beatings and the crucifixion, at any moment, he could have brought an, a stop to all of it. Yeah. But he went willingly. Yeah. This I, time, it wasn't, it wasn't time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's always dangerous to talk about the inner workings of the Trinity in any respect. Uh, but you said he's always in control. And my mind was, was he's always trusting his father perfectly. Mm-hmm. The father's always in control, and yeah. he's living that perfect, obedient yeah. faith, which is an invitation for us, too, to walk in step with the Spirit and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust doesn't he say to some one of the disciples, don't you know I could call down right now 12 legions of angels? Yeah. You know, it was always at his disposal. Mm-hmm. He just, he knew what he, why he came. Yeah. So I take great <clears throat> comfort in knowing that in this moment, you know, because it was not his time to die for the sins of all people, he walked right through that crowd. Mm-hmm. It's otherworldly. Yeah. And it, it, again, it's an invitation for us to trust too in a radical way that, you know, if I'm, if God is calling me to take a, take a risk with say generosity, I'm going to give more generously than I ever have before. And I'm confident this is, this is God is calling me to this and I'm going to take that leap of faith. I can, I can trust him. He's going to be faithful in that. And it doesn't mean he's going to pay me back dollar for dollar, but he's certainly going to provide and take care of me, take care of me if I'm, the safest place to be is wherever God's calling me to be. The safest thing to be doing is whatever God's given me to do. Mm-hmm. Even, well, because he conquers death. So even if I get killed <laughs> obeying him, I still win. Sorry, that's probably not where you wanted to end the podcast. Yeah, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, no, it's, uh, we have listen, ultimate victory, right? We're more than conquerors. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to kind of close by saying, you know, while our podcast now is coming to an end, this particular episode buckle up because we're about to get into the miracles the teachings the healings it's going to be exciting stuff uh, starting with verse 31 in chapter 4 and moving forward so there's going to be lots to talk about angela will be back god willing (laughs) and um, so again i want to thank everybody for tuning in i guess you don't tune in with a podcast do you 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 just kind of like log on yeah, Thanks for logging on and uh, joining us. And we pray that you'll have a great worship experience this weekend at Trinity or wherever you're worshiping. And we are looking forward to seeing you back here again next week in the Heart of a Shepherd podcast. 